Um, all right, folks, welcome back to Call and Shots. Uh, joined this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you are, uh, by uh, one of my uh, co-instructors at Sports Business Classroom this summer, uh, Dan Purcell. And before we get going into the show, we just want to tell folks that we are, along with uh, former Suns GM, GM Ryan McDonough, doing a, a live uh, draft preview show tonight Um uh, which I will link to on Twitter um, and I think drop in the show description as well once I post it uh, tonight at 6 Eastern. 6 Eastern, do I have that right, Dan? Uh, I believe so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're 6, 6 p.m. Eastern tonight, yeah. yep. I get all my time zones mixed yeah. up. I've been, I've been literally in all three time zones the last month and a half, so I'm getting all of them mixed up. For sure. So t- tomorrow's the draft. Um and you you were with the the New Orleans Pelicans for for a number of years. So why don't for for folks who are who are less familiar with you, why don't you uh, you know just describe kind of what your role was, how you, how that came to be, and and sort of what that meant for draft season. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of it is the prep, right? I mean, as you know, Seth, um, preparation for the draft is everything because it's one of those you know it's one of those things where you are, you're doing your work diligently throughout the year and there's not a lot of, uh, um, it's the word I'm looking for. I don't want to say urgency, but there's a, there's not a lot of deadline coming, right? You know, your deadline's not coming. You're not on the clock anytime soon. And you're just trying to gather your information, your background info, your scouting and whatnot. And then, um, you know, as you get closer and closer and closer, Things can get real hectic real quick with position, you know, agents positioning their clients and um, players positioning themselves and other players positioning players that they know. And then, you know, guys that you're working with, scouts that may have some biases towards guys or a certain type of player, you know, a lot of those things start coming in because the deadline comes, right? So we, so for me, the last few days um, before the draft anyway are, are pretty actually calm for me and the other 10, 11, 12 months of it are super hectic <laughs> for me, which is probably the opposite of what it actually is, but it helps me uh, keep all my, you know, my process in order. So there's sort of two schools of thought of this, and I experienced kind of both to some extent, is because of that lack of deadline until it's a big deadline, and if you're behind, you're screwed. Um, you know, there, you, I think most teams, like, impose some sort of internal artificial deadlines all right we're gonna have uh, we're gonna you know have this meeting on this day where this where these things need to be done um sure. but the, the a, a key point is do you want to have a big board then or not um the, the i think the pro for that is like it forces you to get a lot of your work done early uh the con is it's it like just putting names in a list is such a strong anchoring effect that yeah. you you might be just way too early on being high or low on a guy. Do you have like which of those were like more categorizes your process and sort of why? Yeah, see, I'm I'm a more of the latter. I you know obviously if you have deadlines, then you're going to be making sure you put things in on those deadlines. Obviously, right? And some teams are different. Some people some teams want a top sixty by October fifteenth. Some teams don't want a top 60 until December 15th, you know, and um, and that's OK. Honestly, that's OK. I, I'm actually more of the thought of I want to gather as much information as I can without bias of a of a ranking. 
You know what I mean? Because what happens is human nature, right? You tend to go towards um, the better player because that's more impactful on your team, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You don't know where you're at at that time of the year. And um, to me, when I actually did that my first couple years of like getting into this, and it really screwed me up in the sense that I would start, I'd notice myself taking a look at guys that either we didn't have a shot at or, or two, just they needed more time to develop, right? But the talent was there, so I'm looking, 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 and I'm, I missed out on other guys that I should have been looking at that ultimately went above them in the draft, and the guys I was looking at, they just kept falling. So I tried to take a, a, a different approach with it, and I pivoted to just, you know what? I know who the top 100 guys are that I'm looking at from a broad perspective, and I have buckets for them, right? Guys who are going to be lottery guys, guys who are going to be first rounders, guys who are going to be early second, late second, in terms of like not a ranking, but just gives me a range, right? Um, like Jake LaRavia from Wake Forest would be a good case study this year in that, right? And, you know, some guys at the beginning of the year thought he was a mid first round pick, and now he's dropped all the way to the second round. So, um, that's the type of thing for me that that I look for is I actually like to do a ton of work on a ton of guys for four or five months, and then I like to put my rankings in. You, it's funny you mentioned Laravia because it seems like he, he like he maybe started one place and dropped, and then just you know listening to chatter, it seems like there's kind of late steam on on him. Kind of mm-hmm. I, like the, the notion of of guys rising and falling when there's really only one thing that happens is always kind of. That's, that's sort of always been a little funny to me, but like, yep. it's almost like if draft was today, I guess it it it, may, it almost it makes a little sense. But it does seem like he's you know he's kind of bounced back a little bit to the extent that such a thing is any reality. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. It's it also just you know piggybacking on what you said about um, late risers and late fallers and all that stuff. And Seth, I think you've heard me say that. I think we actually presented a little bit on this uh last year and you know for me i don't like i don't like the late riser late faller thing unless it's something egregious you know like i've always said that guys can throughout the course of the body of their work that's when they get built up you know that's when you build your value right and it's you don't build value in the last 24 hours you're, you can really only it's like being it's like being out at after midnight on a Friday. <laughs> Usually, only bad things happen, right? After midnight or two a.m. on a Friday, you can really only devalue the rest of your night. Usually, after those times, right? And it's the same type of thing. Of it's twenty four hours for the draft. The guy's already built up his his value. He can only go down on an egregious thing. You know what I'm saying? And it's just it, it's it's just really interesting to hear people go oh late riser late faller oh he lost this he lost that well no I knew I knew about all this stuff before and it affected me in my ranking. So there's a number of different ways to to go there. Um, the the most obvious one is you, you talk about body of work. Um, how do you deal with guys without a body of work? And that and that's everything from you know there, there's obviously this year Shane Sharp is is sort of uh you know there's 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 tape on him from from prior to to NCAA but he never competed at that level or even a guy um who it was like you know the I guess the classic example now is Giannis who like just hadn't competed at any real level until he he was he was in the draft so um those are obviously somewhat different situations but how do you 
if you're if you're dealing with a body of work, how do you deal with the absence of a body of work? That's a great question. That's one that it took me years to figure out, right? And for me, I'm a little more hesitant on that, especially with guys who uh, like their agents don't don't really let them work out or get seen. What you are have you to hiding? remember, Giannis. Well, that's the first thing. That's yeah. the first question: is what are you hiding? Who is okay? Even if you are just playing the game of you don't want less is more, right? That's the game you're playing is less is more at that point. That's fine. But the problem is, like, are you helping or hurting your client? You know what I mean? If, if nobody's seen him play a game, I don't even know, you know, in a very high-level, high-intensity, like, I love conference tournaments. I think they're some of the most high-pressure situations you can be in. Plus, on top of it, this is probably the third time you're, you're playing a team, so the other team knows you really well. Like, so conference tournaments are great, right? And I would have loved to see him in a conference tournament game where it's high stakes, single elimination, but... I don't even get I don't get to see that. I just want to see what he looks back running back on defense. Does he talk to his teammates? You know what I mean? If if he's if he's getting screened, do his bigs work for him? Do his bigs, you know, talk to him? I mean, there's a lot of little nuances that go into that type of stuff, you know? And it shows sometimes that either bigs are engaged or if they are engaged, do they want to help the guy out? Because you might see a, and this is a hypothetical scenario obviously, but you might see a big who is just talk, 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 talk with the other guard, but with the other guard, he doesn't say a word. You know what I mean? So it's little stuff like that, and I know it might seem minuscule, but really that's the difference in a lot of stuff is little things. Is he a leader, communication? Like, do guys like him? Is he fun to play with? Do you want to play with him or against him? Like, all those little things you can you can really see, and I haven't been able to see that with him, and it kind of gives me a little bit of a um, – you know what? Well, I'd rather go with Dyson Daniels at that point. I'm just feeling I have a whole body of work on a guy, and I know who he is. Sure. Uh, Mike has been waiting patiently. He's got a question for us, so if you want to unmute and fire away. Hey, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yep. You're, you're fine. Great. Uh, I've got a really simple question. I'm wondering, how can you tell if you're good at the draft? Uh, at evaluating players. <laughs> um, <laughs> very softball here for good. you. Um, do you, um, are you, I mean, what are you even measuring? Are you looking at like an all-in-one metric and you're guessing, I think this guy is going to have the biggest EPM over his first five years or how do you even go about it? What's the standard? Like what's the average team, you know, skill level? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll listen for that. Uh, why don't you go ahead first, Dan, and then I'll 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 talk about sort of from the more the more metrics based comparison. Uh, sure. uh, but like from your perspective, what does being good at the draft look like? I think being good at the draft is finding guys who impact winning. Winning, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's and winning has it's like a million different ways to skin a cat, right? It's the same thing with winning. Winning looks differently across the board. So with your situation. Um, whichever team you're with, I think three things really walk into this, right, from my perspective. Culture, impact, and then um, leadership, right? Leadership in terms of are they leading their role? And, of course, I'm, I'll add another one in there now that I said role. is like accepting your role, right? There's been a lot of guys who have talent that don't accept a role in the NBA, and then they fail. So did the team fail or did the player fail? You know, there's a lot of different things that go into that. But for me, I think the biggest thing for me is how does he impact winning? How does he impact your culture? Um, those two things, if, if you can check those boxes that the, he helps you win, 
and he's a positive tick on your culture, I think in my terms, uh, you know, in, from what I would look at, I'm looking at it as that's a successful way to, to uh, get a guy. And it's, that's the hard part is are there metrics that say this guy's going to be the greatest player ever that transfer? I mean, there are some, but yeah. they're not always a guarantee. <laughs> well, rebounding rate, rebounding yeah. rate is a great one, right? And so for me, if I'm, if I'm on the fence, I go to metrics. I go, first thing I go to all the time is rebounding rate, especially if it's a wing or a, or a big. Rebounding rate is big for me. But I think overall, it's, it's the impact on winning, the impact on culture. And you can draft, it doesn't always have to be the number one guy. Like, you can pick a guy at 45 who's amazing for your culture. Or you can find Malcolm Brogdon, who's a, a really good player, and he fits the met- metric race of ball handler low enough turnovers and on top of it you're seeing saying man he's a really good kid he impacts our culture in a positive way i'll i'll take credit for that uh no <laughs> we, um that was that was very shortly after i joined the box so i can take no credit for that whatsoever um, i was trying to throw you off yeah no i appreciate that um but, so i think from 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 my perspective i'm i want to zoom out a little bit because you know like most people who are ultimately responsible for making draft picks, you know, what the average shelf life of an NBA GM is probably four to five years. So that's, you know, four to six. So that's somewhere between, you know, eight and 14 picks across the first and second round. Um, that's not enough sample to really judge just based on results. Still, you want to you wanna feel like you're, eva- if, this is the importance of going back and looking at not just the players you picked, but the players everyone else picked and your evaluation of those players. And were we more right than average about these players? Um, the, in, in sort of the public discourse around the draft, the, the sort of the shit happens factors of guys just not making it is so much higher than is, you know, he's, this guy's floor is blah, blah, blah. No, his floor is he's out of the league in three years. Like, you know, almost bar none. So, um, and so just, you know, knowing that, you know, if it's a 50, 50 decision, if you're 60, 40, you're doing great. Um, and that's, that's hard to do. And I think that's, is the, uh, the hard thing to do is to, you know, really be honest about, you know, both your, your mistakes and your successes. Like, I think that there have probably been players who got drafted for the wrong reason and then turned out to be good. And then you're like, did we get that one right or did we get it lucky? I mean, it's very tempting to be like, yeah, perfect. We knew it all along. And it's like, um, sure, we knew Draymond Green was going to be the best defender of this generation. It's like, mm, they pulled the other one. So I think it's, it's, um, it's being, you know, using kind of the holistic, you know, evaluation of all the players uh, to validate that your process in making the decision and making those evaluations were correct. Um, which that's, I guess it's not a real answer, but it's the only one that works as far as I'm concerned. Is that- that's, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, I definitely, I don't want to. That's a long winded answer. There's a lot, that's a hard question in you know, yeah. three minutes. No, I, I, I appreciate it because the sample size is so low um, and there's so much luck involved. And like, yeah. like you said, Seth, did we just. Do we get lucky, or did, could, can we even know if we got lucky, or if, we, if it was uh, our skill? Um, but yeah, I appreciate your answer. It's, I mean, it's, it's 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 you know, for teams that have good outcomes, it's probably some of both. There's probably some 
you know, like, you know, more likely than not, you did well in your evaluation and then you got lucky. And those are, you know, and, and, you know, viewing those things side to side is hard, but you sort of, you sort of have to, otherwise you can, it's very easy to fool yourself to thinking that like you have magic draft dust. Yeah. And, and just to piggyback on that too, Seth, like, you know, luck is created from culture in my opinion. Right. And culture has to do with positivity, work ethic, attitude, and then obviously putting in, you know, having the right coach with the right coaching staff who can get through to players, right? So I think there's a there's there's a holistic approach to this, and every it, the draft is so hard because every little piece has to work. Whereas in free agency, yeah, you can sign a bad free agent, but you know what you're getting most of the time. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of can is the are the market conditions right for you as a team to get the right deal for that guy, right? And and in the draft, it's a more holistic approach. It's, he's already cap friendly, and now we need to see if our analysis on the front end now can work with our coaching staff and our medical staff and our strength staff to get the most out of this guy. And it doesn't all that all that stuff does not matter if the kid does not have a good attitude and he doesn't work hard. All of this other stuff doesn't matter if he doesn't even have those basic things. So I think the draft is getting a lot of those guys too, guys that are will work hard that are open-minded that will try new things i think that's a big thing it's a psychological thing and i think you sort of that that sort of touches on another part that makes this hard um is it you know how much of quote-unquote failures are are failures of talent identification how many of them are failures of you know situation of 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 your your player development of putting the guy in the right role of of you know giving him the right support um, and those, and I think those are, those things are very hard to unpack. Like, you know, the, the teams that, that, you know, do well, like developing young players, are they picking the most developable, that's not a word, uh, <laughs> young, young players, or are they better at develop, or is it, is it some of both? Like that's, that sort of makes it the additional complication because, um, you know, I just got done talking about like, you know, how more guys don't make it than not. I think it's also like not understood how much better everyone has to be who's in the draft to be a, a, a positive NBA player. Like yep. there's like, it's like you're not drafting for who he is today. You're drafting. Okay. He's here. And then he gets better. What does he look like? Correct. Yep. Exactly. Um, so let me ask about that. Do you like, how do you go about like doing that sort of projection? Like you can say, okay, this, it's not that hard to see who the best college player is. How do you extrapolate from that? Or even if a guy is not the best college player, but okay, he's a good player whose game will be great in the NBA. Like, mm-hmm. how do you, and even that, and if he improves, like, how do you unpack those things? Uh, for me, it's, it's a combination of advanced metrics. I, I'm not, I am not, uh, I will be the first to tell you, I am not a uh, advanced metrics whiz. I don't think I can build systems myself, but that's why I talk to people like you, Seth, because you guys are smart and smarter than me. And I think that's the first thing is having a team of people and understanding where your weaknesses are and where you're not internally, right? And then from there, I'm building out. I'm saying, okay, what are our team needs? Where are we at first? 
that's the very first question I ask is where are we at for, as a team in terms of the league, right? Are we in the upper third of offensive efficiency? Are we in the lower third of defensive efficiency? Overall efficiency, are we here? You know what I mean? I, I want a really macro sense of where we're at. And then it's like it's it's just starting to take those little pieces and starting to push them down, right? So say we're, uh, you know, I'm making it up. We're ninth in offensive efficiency overall, and we're 18th in defensive uh, efficiency. Our, is our goal to become just a really great offense, so we're going to draft a more offensive-based player, or do we want to get into the top 10 in both offense and defense? And usually top 10 teams in both offensive and defensive efficiency, usually they make the playoffs, right? They're a playoff team. If that Seth, correct me if I'm wrong. I I, but, I would think it would be almost impossible to not be. Right, exactly. So if I'm sitting here, I'm probably going to go, okay, well, we we need to get better defensively. So we probably need to get a guy in this draft, and we have picked, you know, uh, twelve. We just we got to the play-in, right, or thirteen, got to the play-in and lost first game. I'm thinking our defense needs to be better because in playoff time, it's you know we we had trouble stopping the ball. We'll just make things up here. And from there, I'm building it down. Now, guys in the draft, where, who, what guys do we know of that are in our database to start that are great on-ball defenders, that are able to either, if we need them to pick up, you know, 92 feet just for two. Sorry. I don't know. My phone cut off there. Nope. I, the, um, you, you were just saying, like, if you need them to pick up 92 feet. That's the last I heard. Right, yeah, if you if you need to, you know, if you need him to pick up, uh, you know, in the quarter quarter, we or we need to, like, slow the ball down and slow the possessions of the game down, he's able to take three, four seconds off the shot clock, you know, for the possessions that he's in there, you know, th- those types of things. And then I start looking at guys. Oop, lost you again, Dan. Lost you again. Just sorry. <laughs> you start looking at guys, and then yeah. Um, you there? Okay. Uh, well, well, we try to un- to fix. Uh, Dan tries to fix his uh, his his connection problems. Um, it's funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with him while he can't hear me. But uh, <laughs> um, I you know I'm sort of. The, the picking for fit is always weird to me because it, it's like this guy is going to be good in three years. What's our team going to look like in three years? Um, now there are exceptions to that, but in in general, um, and that's uh, that, like, I don't th- I don't know if that there's particularly a right or wrong answer to that. But I have found that people on the metric side tend to be BPA, and people on the scouting side tend to be more for fit. That's just a, a sort of a broad. Um, Generalization. It's not. It's not true in every case, but it's 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 uh, more true than not. Uh, Abdul Rahman says in comments, picking for fit may uh, may be better for winning teams. <sighs> okay, I think yeah. I'm back here. All right, here we go. So I was sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, I heard I heard the fit part. Um, yeah. I, I actually, I'm not a fit guy. I'm more of a Belichick. You know, more of the Belichick. Uh, you know, thought process. But okay. what what I'm saying when it comes to the actual pick, right? But in my process, I am I going see. through all of this stuff. You know what I mean? The on-ball defenders, the guys who are good help side, you know, 
guys who measure well re- defensive rebounding. Like I'm looking at all these things, then obviously I'm using the team. You know, our team has eyes on guys. They're going to watch guys. We've logged things, and now we're starting to parse piece parse them out. I am actually a, a, a huge advocate of um, finding the best player at the best fit, obviously. I, I'm not going to blind it, but the, thing, the difference between the NFL and the NBA is there's only X amount of minutes per game, right? And I, I, if, if I'm the Warriors, I'm making it up just because it's easy uh, comp, but sure. if I'm the Warriors, I don't need to pick a, a, a ball-dominant two-guard to play with my team. Like, that's it. But he may... He may be. Uh, I don't know why this is doing this, yeah. but he may. I'm gonna reset, Seth. I'm gonna log log in, no, log back up. No, no worries. Um. So while we're waiting for for Dan to come back, um, I think the the the, the football analogy is an interesting one, um, simply because I think that. Um, systems are more malleable in basketball because there's only five guys. And so you're like, okay, our guys have changed. So we'll put different guys, um, you know, we can, we can reconfigure a system to match those guys. Whereas it's hard to find a guy in football, um, especially outside of a quarterback. It's hard to find a guy in football. It's like, well, we're going to change. This guy's good enough that we're going to change everything about the thing the way everyone else does. So, you know, uh, if you, you know the the if a team is a three four team, it's like well, there's no point in us picking a, a defensive end because we don't play that way. Unless okay, we think he can be an outside linebacker, then maybe. But I, I that the same the same um, the the same uh, I guess aspects don't exist in basketball. It's easier to 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 switch things up. And also, I think that that. Um, I think that a lot of teams have actually got themselves in trouble by being too wedded to a system. Um, you know, all right, this isn't this is not a, a, a if it's a, if it's a player who's not of the normal type that the coach wants. Um, maybe it's a good thing. Um, yeah, I think we've I think we see it in the playoffs every year that uh, a team has only one way to play, and that that way to play gets kind of figured out, and they don't have they don't have a changeup they can go to. Um, and so maybe, you know, maybe a team that wants to switch everything um, doesn't have a traditional big. Maybe in some matchups that would be useful to have a drop big. Like you're playing against a team that, that is great at attacking the rim, mediocre pull-up shooting. Maybe just having a big dude who you can, you can make them drive into uh, is, is better than trying to switch everything and, and contain all these guys who are explosive off the ball. Like that might be useful useful to have around. So it's a... It is a, a, a tough balance. Yeah, and the teams, and just to, now that I'm back here, yeah. the toughest, the, the draft is toughest on the small market teams, in my opinion. Yeah, usually they're the ones at the top of the draft, but that's the thing. It's like if they don't hit on the draft, they have nowhere else to hit, in essence, unless they have a very special situation, right? So that's why, like, for me, I'm going to go through the whole process, obviously, and I'm going to point out, you know, I have the ninth pick, and these are the four. These are the three guys in my bucket that I think are going to be there, and this is my. And then I'll have my overall talent board, who I think are the best players. Like that's where I'm at. I have a need list and I have a talent list, and my talent list will always overcome my need list unless my best player is playing that same position. You know what I mean? Sure. So like one of the things that happened with us in New Orleans was we drafted Czech Diallo. We traded up to get Czech Diallo, 
and it was just like you know at the time I I was you know little bit I was a little worried for the development and not because of anything that we would do wrong it was literally out of pure minutes like where is he going to get minutes with him, with Anthony Davis being ahead of him he can only go so far with us having you know a top 10 player in the league on our team you know what i mean yeah no I, now you now you're just now you're just putting kids in a bad situation in essence no i th- and i think that's the important caveat and that and and to me that sort of only exists at sort of the big positions i think mm-hmm. that you know, you mentioned earlier, like, oh, like, is it a bad thing to have more ball handlers? Like, I don't, like, that it? seems, yeah. it's, it seems like that's not a problem that teams tend to have. Um, it, it's much more the other way. And especially with the number of times we see teams going, you know, kind of two point guard looks now. Um, it doesn't, like, that would not be, that would not be, you know, I, I think the best example this year is having De'Aaron Fox would not be a reason. If I like Jaden Ivey and if, People listen to my show on Monday with Brian Schroeder. He's my favorite player in this draft. If I like if I like Jaden Ivey, De'Aaron Fox is not a like. There's not a player in the league who would like like if I'm the Warriors and I'm picking fourth. Well, we got Steph. Okay, but Jaden Ivey's the the yeah. So that's that's sort of now again. If you're talking about the other end, like if you're this if you're the if you're the Sixers and you're like, okay, what are we gonna do with Chet? It's like okay, can he put can he and Embiid play next to each other? Probably not, so maybe that's not the move. Like that's that's sort of that's much more the. Uh, that's just being smart. Yeah, I mean that's just being smart. I mean there's a that's the great thing about the draft. There's a huge human element to it. Like everybody wants the to, to you have it to write it down and it, put it in a book and just go back to the book all the time. But you can't do that because it's not every every situation is different. Every player is different. Every team is different, and every pick is different. And you know we can go back in the history and say, okay, well the number two pick has been more successful than the number four pick. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything just because they were super talented and either the team recognized it or they got lucky. It's one of the two. It's actually, it's, it's funny. And, we'll, and Abdul Rahman has got a question. We'll get, get him up. But uh, if you actually look at it historically, like, I think third picks have been more successful than second picks over, sure. over yeah, recent just, time, yeah. which is, which, but, and it's I, and like, people, well, I guess you don't want to pick second or that's just kind of a, you know, an odd quirk of, of where people happen to have gotten picked, I think. Well, my um, philosophy I'm, on that, uh, on those, on those, on that type of thing is that, remember, the leaks changed a lot, right? Yeah. And it's more guards and there's more, there's a more, there's a plethora of guards and wings than there were back in the eighties when it was more bigs. You only had so many seven footers. So that's why I think it's pushed it down. Cause you have a bigger pool of top end players. Cause they're mostly wings. That could be. And I think that, and I think there was probably a, a stretch kind of in the mid like 2010s where drafting hadn't quite caught up to the style changes or, Players yeah. were drafted like they were drafted into the you know as if the league was 2012 and all of a sudden it's 2018 and I don't know Jaleel Okafor is is a much different looking player in 2018 than he is in 2012 as is, is just sort of one example. Yeah, uh, Abdul Rahman, you uh, you've been very you've been patient. Uh, you went on mute and uh... hi, how's it going? I'm good. People splitter for the draft, and so excited when my teams, the Lakers, don't have any pick. <laughs> they will. They're, they're probably going to buy in, so they're going to buy a pick at some point. Uh, yeah, I think they this draft have a lot of wings, and we need them a lot. So, 
there's idea that came up on my mind that how can we value training data? Like Jalen Brown, for example, had glaring weakness in his handle in in college, and he improves a lot. How can you value that? Maybe his situation is not great, and the training gyms in their college didn't isn't great, and you can do, develop this and so on. No, that's a great question. Um, like Jalen Brown was a player who, like metrics, frankly hated, and I think it's for the reason like he was very turnover prone, very low assist rate, like like um, almost. I think um, I remember Kevin Pelton has written about this, but he was he was like among like elite draft like elite perimeter draft uh, prospects, like by some margin, like the most turnover prone relative to playmaking of like anybody ever. Um, and then, okay, so that, that's a problem. And, and frankly, I think you can still see over his career that has been a problem. But you take into account that, like, his college team's offense was a mess. And so you kind of balance that in the obvious athleticism. And he's a player I didn't like in the draft. And frankly, I was wrong about because I didn't contextualize enough. Or maybe, maybe I was, or, or maybe I was right to be skeptical, but like of any profile of player. Some are going to make it. Um, so I like like let's, he's a very interesting case that we can argue back and forth about. I think. What did you? How did you evaluate uh, Jalen Brown coming into the league, Dan? Freak. I mean, he's a <laughs> uh, he's a genetic freak. Um, J, you know, and the, that if I remember correctly, um, the biggest knock on him was his turnover rate, right? Yeah. And it was and it was something he and because he's not a point guard, like he's not a primary ball handling guard that's not the that's not who he is right but he has to kind of be that in the nba because he's so such a freakish athlete right yeah so it's it's like well you're you're an absolute freak you're in the top five probably of athleticism in the league and again that's why danny um danny ainge has a history he likes freaks right he will he will he will draft a freak over what is right for his team every day of the week and he saw Jalen Brown's athleticism and skill and he high IQ. He's a smart kid, super smart guy. I think he, he represented himself for a while before. I think he has Jason Glushon now. But, um, I, he, but for a while he was negotiating his own contracts. And so he's a really smart, intelligent, you know, kid. And, or he was. And the biggest knock on him was his turnover rate and his rebounding rate, I believe. And, um, if I remember correctly. So, Guys like guys like him, honestly, Danny just took a chance and said, "This guy's a freak. We can we can teach him how to do stuff, but he's just too much of a freak to pass up." And a lot of it isn't a metric; it's literally you're looking at this kid going, "Oh my god!" You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think and and, and that's fair, but it's, it's a, the, that's sort of the. I think we can we can all we can. I don't think it would take us long to figure to to identify some other players who did have like just really top end athleticism. But didn't know how to play basketball, and so never amounted to much. And so, so like, and the turnovers are sort of a, a maybe an indicator of that. But at the same time, you have to sort of balance that against. Again, you were talking about like, okay, he's not a lead ball handler. Cal didn't have a good off like a, like any sort of offensive system. Oh, it was anemic. System. It was anemic. Yeah. And and he and so he had to be, and then so he he was put in positions to highlight his worst skills, and so to balance that. Is is like I? It, it's something that you know. I I am. 
I think you can get to a certain point with metrics on the draft, but like stuff like that is always sort of puts a hard upper ceiling on how much they can tell you on how predictive they can be. Um, because, because we haven't figured out a good way to sort of identify and measure, okay, he's bad at this, but he's also in a situation where this looks worse than it will, will look in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, think about it. I mean, just to go back to the draft, right? Simmons was picked and then Ingram. So you're, so Danny's sitting there saying, I'm staring at Dragon Bender, Chris Dunn, Buddy Heel, Jamal Murray, Marquise Chris, Thon Maker, Sabonis, and Pertle. Uh, Pertle. Yeah, Pertle, right? So yeah. you're sitting there and staring at that. And that's just a situation. You're, I'm looking at it now. Trying, I remember this draft because we were sitting at uh, six. And we were thinking the same thing was like, well, I hope hopefully Dunn gets off the board so we don't have to take him. You know what I mean? And um, if I'm Boston in this draft, I mean, situational. It's like, who's better than Jalen Brown out of that group at that time? You could argue that the only kid that really was was Jamal Murray now, but you didn't know that back then. You knew he was good, but you didn't know he was going to be this good. You know? So, like, if you you really want to take Bender or Chris Dunn over Jalen Brown, I don't. I mean, the you know, Chris had, like, Chris had some of the same, like, obviously he was, a, like, a big rather than a wing, and, and I think we were at the point where we, we probably could know that that was more important. Um, you go further down, like, uh, like DeJounte Murray was someone who, who fell a lot in that draft. Um, mm-hmm. it turned, and and it turned, turns out he would have been a perfectly good pick that high, too. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we brought Jalen Brown up because um, you, you mentioned something about him, which is, is sort of one of the fascinating aspects of, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of the draft stuff that people on the outside don't see is sort of the evaluation of the person. Because, I mean, you, you talked about culture, but it's not just culture. It's also, like, you know, ability to be coached, ability to get better, ability to be a professional. And we don't, like, that's stuff that's non-visible from the outside for the most part. Um, but the thing I've always found interesting is so much of that stuff, the same piece of information can go either way. Like, now that he's good, we recognize Jalen Brown's a smart guy, and this has allowed him to X, Y, Z. There was you see this maybe more in, in in like the NFL almost. It's like oh he's so smart he builds a computer. Does he love football? We get that a little bit in basketball too. But if you like the guy, he's smart. That's great. If you don't like the guy, he's got other interests. He doesn't love basketball. Mm-hmm. Like you know he 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 gets on his teammates. He's a winner who doesn't accept mediocrity. Or you don't like his game. He's an asshole. Yeah, and I think that's the new. I think there's a new wave of front office and coaching staffs that don't think that way, that are just kind of like, they see the best in the kid. You know what I mean? I, I, from things that I'm hearing is like, even if, we'll stay, stick with Boston. Like, Ime's always been a guy, their, you know, their coach, Ime Doko, who's like, he's always been one of those guys who like, he sees the best, even though he's a little grumpy, he still sees the best in, in guys. You know what I mean? Brad Stevens did too. Brad Stevens is a guy, he likes seeing the best in guys, you know? I think there's guys that aren't old school anymore that have to, you know, I felt like the more old school guys, this is an old school being pre-09 CBA, was it 08, 09 CBA, whichever one it was, um, more or less, you had to be on one side of the coin, right? You're not allowed to be like, well, no, neither side's really right. It's actually option three, you know? 
And I feel like there's more of that since the information is so much more. And you got to go into this thing with an open mind. If you go in with a closed mind of like, this is what works every time and this is how we're going to do it every time, and there's no wiggle room in there in your process, like you're going to fail ultimately because that means that means you're always, you know, you're you're always going to hit on soft, you know, soft 17, and then you're going to hit again on hard 17, and that's and you're not going to win hitting on hard 17 every time. You know, right? Um, how early do you do you uh, are you aware of players? I think this is you know this is um, I think for for the general public like there are people who really dive into this and like pay a lot of attention to like AAU and FIBA FIBA play and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, like when they get to college, is is maybe like the McDonald's All American game or something is when sort of the public awareness of guys. How much earlier than that are team to have teams identified kind of the guys who are the real prospects? Yeah, I, I, and and when I first started doing this, I thought, and I'm a product of the AAU system myself. Like I coached AAU way before I got to the, got the NBA and, you know, I spent a lot of years and gyms with unicorns on the wall and, you know, all this, you know, we, I've been in like the trenches, right? So what I learned, though, down there was that you're not going to be able to see everybody all the time. So what I try to do is I try to let others sift through and let guys play through a lot of that hype and a lot of that stuff. Um, So for me, I liked FIBA. Um, I like the FIBA games. I think they're a good way to see some young guys. Um, Nike Hoop Summit is always good because Nike takes the best of the EYBL kids and, you know, they put them on, you know, into this, you know, camp for lack of a better term that's really a good place to see how they stack up against each other and that's really to me i mean yeah eybl circuit is cool we're not allowed obviously when you work for a team you're not allowed to go to eybl yet um so you have to watch it on tv or you know watch it from afar so i think once you're the rules let you touch <laughs> put, you know, put groucho marks glasses on sneak into right, the stands right exactly well no you can watch it on film yeah a lot of eybl stuff is streamed and um you can. I think the key for most scouts is when you can actually go and watch, you know, and you can see how they warm up, see how they interact with people, like from a personal standpoint. Um, I think that's pretty important. That's probably where most guys start feeling comfortable is when they are allowed to actually go to the games and see these guys. What are so? I think that certainly the pandemic has has kind of raised this again. What are the things that are are scoutable on video, and what are the things that you that in person really does help with? Because there's there's I mean there's an a there's just an efficiency thing. Like you can mm-hmm. you know you you go to a game like you go on a scouting trip. You can maybe see you know if you pick a particularly rich you know conference with you know drivable distances or something. You can maybe see like eight prospects in five days or something like that. If you're just if you're in the office, you can do that in a day. Mm-hmm. So, but what are the things that, you know, what is, what are, you know, the, the efficiency of film, what things is that best for? And what does like having to be there, see them in person, like in three dimensions, what, what, yeah. what things are best for that? To see them in person? Yeah. Yeah. I think or the, the benefits of it, right? The benefits yeah. of seeing them in person. Yeah. Uh, it's all the off the court stuff. I mean, I always get there early. Like as soon as the doors open, I'm usually in the gym. Like I've or and I've already probably scheduled meetings earlier in the day if I got there day of or if I got there the night before I'd probably already talked to 
man, if it's college, you know, I've talked to managers, I've talked to assistant coaches, I've talked to um, Dobos, you know what I mean? Like I'm already knee deep in that stuff. And a lot of that is FaceTime, right? Building those relationships is a FaceTime thing. And then obviously when they get, when the gym opens, I want to see their workout, how they warm up. I want to see how they talk to people. I want to see how people receive them. Um, that's probably the biggest thing is how the masses receive them in terms of like when he talks to his assistant coaches, how do they talk to each other? Uh, when he talks to the PA announcer, how do they react to him? You know what I mean? Like, is he staring at, you know, is he, you know, middle of the game and he's staring at the dancers? You know what I mean? Like, I want to know that little stuff that you just can't see on TV. Sure. I, I always found that like, I got a much better sense for like true size also. Fair. Like, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can get, you can get sort of height and length, but, and this was something that actually like I, you know, the first time I saw Sean Kemp in person, like when I was, when I was growing up, the first time I went to a Sonics game, it's like, oh, he's a lot bigger than he looks on TV, like a lot mm-hmm. thicker. And you don't, like, TV has a way of sort of, like, uh, uh, compressing that kind of size, that kind of bulk difference. And I think that's a, that's a good way of, of, you know, and, and frankly, that was, you know, the first time I saw Steph in person was at Summer League. And I was like, oh, he's bigger than I thought he'd be. Like, he's not huge, but he, I thought I was expecting him to be, like, you know, like Kyle Guy sized or something like that. And Kyle Guy, and, good name. Yeah. Yeah. And instead he's a, you know, he's he's small but he's not tiny. And so that was like and, and so that's the kind of thing that you you that in person kind of just gets you a little bit better sense of. Yeah, I agree. I, I it, the in person is so important from everything else other than the game. If you just if you just watch I feel like if you're stuck in a in an office watching film all the time, you're never going to get a true sense of what the player is. You, but you'll get a pretty good, you'll get a better sense of certain aspects of them than you might even in the gym. Just the ability to like rewind. Wait, did I, did I really see that? Or did it, or was I, or was it something oh, yeah. else happening? Yeah. Oh, the value of film is through the roof. There's no, I'm not even questioning that. Yeah. I'm just saying I am more, again, I'll use the word holistic. Like I, yeah. I think being able to, talk and see because it's not just that moment in time that you're having that meeting with that person or or whatever it's also the next one with them and the next one and that relationship build your network builds and that ultimately helps you in crunch time because you call on your network and say what is going on with player x what happened man you know what i mean if it's the strength coach like you know what i'm saying like those are things that when 24 hours for before the uh, draft like guys are starting to fall and you're they were out in the club, you know, doing whatever and messing around and they got in trouble from the cops. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's there's people you can call and go, oh, my God, what is going on here? So, so we got we probably got about 10 more minutes here. Um, and I want to remind folks again that six Eastern, we, uh, the, the two of us and uh, Ryan McDonough are, are going to uh, talk about similar stuff. But I think a lot with with Ryan's perspective as someone who actually has been the the person making these decisions and not just taking on the information add a lot more to it. Um, I, so I am I, in, in, in my less moderate times, I, I, uh, I almost <laughs> think that we shouldn't do draft for pre-draft workouts just cause I feel like the, the, the signal to noise ratio is bad. now bring guys in, do athletic testing, interview them, uh, you know, medical exams, but the on court stuff, I feel like it's almost a detriment. 
Um, I know that's that like like I'm being like purposefully like uh, um, you know I don't know what what's the word I'm looking for uh, like uh, extreme in that, but it, I, I I don't know I feel like mistakes get made with good or bad workouts more than they should. Uh, yeah, I, I am with you 100% on the actual workout part, right? The workout part of it, I, I barely pay attention. when I, And we had, you know, so many of them. It was just like, I got to the point where I'm like, yeah, I, I like uh, the coaches that do it get really into it as they should. And I think it's good for, I don't think it's so great for the player, but I think it's really good for the assistant coaches that get to do this. Or the player development guys. Like, I think it's a great step for our, our staff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, do I think it helps the player that much? No, but I'm not really, like, I'm not invested in this player yet. So I'm looking at it from a, you know, maybe a very selfish standpoint. But my assistant coach or my my uh, my um, my uh, basketball development coach is getting a lot, is getting more reps in a real-time situation. It's good for his development. Right, and then my assistant GMs and my directors and my coordinators and all that, we're in there, art, you know, um, talking to these guys and getting, you know, the back end stuff and really get a feel for for them in conversation, which is priceless. Then obvious, then obviously the medical stuff, you know, our, having our medical team touch guys and like measure them and see them, put them through an athletic test, you know, that's that's magic, like that's hundred percent too. So. The actual worst part about the whole thing is the kid getting on the floor with a basketball working out. I know it's like counterproductive, right? But it's like it's the truth. It's it doesn't help him at all. It doesn't well, help. The on floor it, does not help that. Well, much. we you know we've been we've been evaluating this guy like in person on tape, doing background for two years. Like, what are we going to learn in thirty minutes of three on three? One hundred percent. Like. And it, but at the same time, it's just like human nature. Like I saw that I was very close to it, and it's the last thing I saw before the draft. Even that, if you watch him on tape again, it's that's like that. that it, right it, there, it seems like it's it's almost hard, like hard coded to fool us. Yes, and you know that's crazy. You said that because that human bias, right? That you got to fight that bias. I put that in my when we're teaching a SBC sports business classroom every year. Like I'm talking about that, right? Fight your bias, and that does not help your bias. Bringing dudes in for an on-court workout, and I think that's why I don't. I never really put anything into the workout itself with the player, because like I don't. I I've, like you said, I've been watching this guy forever. I probably just watched him more on Philly yesterday, and you know I know everything about him. I don't. The one thing I don't know is how does he talk to me? You know how does he measure? How does our medical staff see him? It's really important to see what your strength and your PTs physical therapists think about these guys like it's maybe the most important part of it because if you're not available then you're then you can't none of this is worth anything yeah it's it's actually the the uh the medical stuff you get from this is is first of all it's 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 in depth and second of all like just the the number of injuries that most of these guys have had along the way was like like the you know by the time they they even get to you know even a nineteen year old getting to an NBA draft workout it's like they got an ankle thing and a hip thing and a knee thing and a, they had a concussion two years ago and it's just like oh boy this is this has not been an easy path for anybody physical game right yeah um, all that said about workouts by the way uh, Bam Adebayo had just an unbelievable workout for us <laughs> he would um, yeah he would. I, I, I was already all the way in the tank for him anyway so uh, <laughs> but it, but you know the, but 
I was still like, what a good workout he had. Uh, and, and see, look how good he is now. So, so it was valuable. Because like, obviously, obviously you, need, you needed a workout to know that Bam Adebayo had something. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, that, that took us full circle to when do you know you've done a good job in the draft? <laughs> well, it, it's, easy, it, it's easy to remember that like, everyone remembers the guys they were right on. Like, I, can, I can rip them off. But like, you know, I, like, I, you know, from that same draft, I'm, like, I don't know was it the same draft or was it the, was it the, the following year. Um, another guy who I, I loved in a draft workout was TJ Leaf. Oops. So it's like, you know, like, like what is, uh, you know, it's, it, it's easy if you only remember the times you were right and try and sort of memory hole the things that you were very wrong about. Right, exactly. Um, let me see. Like, I think, I think we've, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. I don't want to completely spoil what we're going to, we're going to talk about tonight, but once again, uh, I'll post, uh, I'll, I'll tweet out the link in a second and, uh, put it in the show description. But, uh, I, I think we'll have a good time chatting, uh, chatting about this tonight, answer some questions again. And, uh, yeah. I mean, this is a draft set. This is the best time of the year, man. It's Christmas. Like, this is Christmas <laughs> for me. I love it's, it. It's, so it's actually it's it's funny it's it's the the uh, between the draft and free agency this is you know by some margin the busiest for people who work in the league. Yes. Like it's not it's not even it's not even close. Like it's not training mm. camp, it's not playoffs. Like you're you're busy Trade deadlines. Yeah. Third deadline, but it's just it's not like this like 3 weeks is um it was my like uh, so my my wedding anniversary is July 2nd. And obviously, I got, yeah, right. <laughs> I got I, like I got married before I was like working in basketball. And my first year with the Bucks, we realized, oh wait, we're not celebrating our anniversary on our anniversary for a while, are we? Um, yeah, it just it's you know it, it it is what it is, and and um, but the, just the the and it's not it's the, it's also the time of year where the work isn't like fake hustle. It's like there's a lot to do and not very much time to do it. Yeah, and that's and I think that's the biggest thing that I always pace myself. I internally have to like pace myself and say, you know what, I'm doing all this work now. You know, when it's middle of dog days of basketball, beginning of February, middle of February, I'm just saying, listen, when it comes to June, you know, the day before the draft, I'm going to be chilling, just listening to everything that's coming in, and everyone else is going to be scrambling. You know what I mean? And not everybody else, but. There's going to be the ones that are unprepared, and I'm going to be way better, way better off than them. And I, that always like that always makes me, you know, comfortable in my in what I do. Exactly, like do the work early, and then you can you can you can kick your feet up a little bit late. Um, Dan, thanks a lot for for joining me. I uh, look forward to chatting with you again tonight, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks in, in Vegas. Um, we're like we said, we're doing uh, sports business classroom. If uh, folks are interested, uh, registration still open for another week. I want to say, uh, and it's uh, it's put on by you know Larry Coon does a great job putting the program together. Um, and I would in- advise people to uh, give it a look. I agree. Thanks for having me on, Seth. I appreciate yeah. you, man. Absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, th- thanks again for listening. I am back next week. Uh, Going to be doing some post draft stuff, some and some season kind of review stuff. I've got uh, Fred Katz from the Athletic and Jared Weiss from the Athletic. Going to come on. We're going to talk Celtics 
and I think do some post draft stuff with a uh, guest, which I can't announce yet because we haven't we haven't nailed down. But uh, we'll be back next week and talk to you then. Thanks a lot. Take care.